This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. folks so great to have you here at new church live today what a great audience we have big welcome to our to our folks who are joining us online i one of the things we we have with this service is it's gonna it's gonna be different in that i really believe that a lot of these answers are hearing other people's voices hearing their stories and so we want to be able to do that hear other people's stories as well as be able to offer help to those of you who might be looking for help a number of things that we have here out there in the lobby, you'll be able to get a list of different 12-step programs that are local that might be very helpful to you. The 12-step community is very near and dear to, to New Church Live and, and New Church Theology. As well as we're very, very fortunate to have folks here from Christian Life Prison and Recovery Ministries. If you folks could raise your hands, we could give them a round of applause. And they would be glad to, to meet with you as well and chat after, after the service. So today's service, like, like the whole genesis of this is, is this is a big issue. Like addiction is a big issue. It impacts families. It impacts the addicts themselves. It impacts communities. And it continues to ripple out. And so I think it's really important for churches to be able to speak to this. Like, this is a real issue, and churches actually have something to say. They can be part of the healing. Now, how we hold this, like, we basically start with just the idea that addiction, it's, it's a disease. And it's where, listen to this great definition, it's where we find ourselves doing more and more of what works less and less. Doing more and more of what works less and less. And so we get, we get into that addicted place, and it's, it's really hard to break out of it. And I, as I've said many times, I've never met an addict, and I, I work with, with a lot of people who struggle with addiction, never have met one who said, this, this is great. This is, this is the kind of life I always wanted. It just, just doesn't happen. And it's the same for families. So we want to be very aware of that. And we also have to have sort of this candid reality about what the issue is and how much it's impacting our society. Like, if churches can't talk about that, I feel like we're missing something. Just look at this recent map in the New York Times talking about the, the rate from opiate overdose, death from, from opiate overdose per 100,000. Look at what it was in 2002, and look at where it is today. You get an idea that this is actually a very, very serious issue, one we need to pay attention to. Now here in New Church Live, we believe very strongly in a Christian message that wants to embrace many, many voices of people who have, who have struggled, people, families who have struggled, a way that we can bring these voices together so you can hear where people are. And my hope with this service is just to give you sort of a broad array of voices. And there may be one or two of those in there where you go like, yeah, that was it. That was my story. Sometimes it will come through the music, by the way. But a place where you hear something. So what we're going to do is we're going to hear some of those voices. We're actually going to have the second half of the service. We're going to have a panel discussion. Then we're going to have a chance for you folks to hear a little bit from the word as we talk about what God would offer with this. And then we're going to close with lighting some candles in memory or in thought of those we want to hold dear. So we're going to go ahead and get started. It's my very, very deep privilege to be able to offer our first speaker here. We'll talk for a few minutes, Beth Valente. Please give her a warm round of applause. (laughs) 
Hi, I'm Beth Valente, and I was asked to come today and just share a little bit of my story about my brother, John. Uh, John Pesha, he died a little over um, about 10 years ago from a fatal drug interaction. He was only 25 years old. He loved life. He was a beautiful human being. He was a sensitive spirit. He was my baby brother. And his drug use started when he was about 11 or 12 years old during my parents' divorce. Um, he was a sensitive kid, and I don't know how it started, but it started. And, you know, instead of... We all made assumptions, and it, it escalated. And we all thought that, um, you know, maybe he would grow out of it. My parents were having a really hard time getting along. It wasn't exactly the the Dr. Phil generation where we learned how to do conflict resolution, you know, from TV and, and Internet. So they fought about it instead of um, talking about it. And I feel like in hindsight it, it became all about, um, you know, blaming each other and trying to find the root of the problem instead of um, being with John and trying to figure out what was going on in his world. And um, as he got older, you know, there were consequences, and he had two uh, severe motorcycle accidents that left him with a crippling um, degenerative disc condition, and he had extreme pain, and he had a seizure condition where he would have seizures every six seconds. And the doctors met him, and they said, you're a young guy. We don't want to do surgery. Here, we're going to give you, you know, Percocet and um, maybe some physical therapy and, and hope for the best. And then opiates became part of the, the mix and, um, and benzos, and they told him, well, don't drink on this, um, even though, without even asking or knowing that he was already, you know, drinking like a half a gallon of vodka a day. And um, things just degenerated from there. Um, I believe he was on a passive suicide mission. When he died, he died of a fatal drug interaction. He had over 10 different substances in his uh, body, not any one enough was enough to kill him. And um, at 25 years old, he, he left this world. He left heartbroken parents and, and me and, and lots of friends um, and family. And the only thing that I, I've looked back over this for 10 years, and there's just a couple thoughts that I have about the whole thing. One is that None of us are above addiction. I believe in being very non-judgmental. I kind of don't believe in, in tough love any, anymore, letting somebody hit the bottom, because for many people, as we could see from the map, the bottom is the grave. And so I believe in just loving, loving people unconditionally, not enabling them, whatever that means, but um, just being there for them and with them. And I recently had a conversation with a woman who had abused uh, crack cocaine for 30 years, and she told me about um, her mother. And after 30 years of abuse and all the drama that probably went along with that, um, she had deteriorated to the point where she couldn't even feed herself. She was like 86 pounds, and her nerve, nervous system was just, you know, trembling. And her mother sat there telling her how much she loved her, and um, and feeding her until she and she fed her until she got better and loved on her until she got better and so that's what I wanted to share today um, and I guess we'll be talking a little bit more but I'm going to introduce 
Jeff, Jeff Carmen is going to come out and share some of his story. Hi, I'm Jeff, alcoholic. Um, this is, uh, this is weird. Uh, I'm not a public speaker, um, but my 12-step program has taught me to not say no to anything recovery-related. Um, this wasn't in the cards for me two and a half years ago. My sober date's 120, 2014. I'm a little less than two and a half years sober. When I came into the rooms, um, I didn't know, it's going to be tough not to cry, my family's here. Um, when I came into the rooms, I didn't know if I wanted to be sober or clean. I just knew that I couldn't continue to live the life that I was living because um, I was going to end up dead. I come from Wisconsin, Philadelphia, Bridge Street exit in 95. Um, Grew up in a loving household, both parents, um, and I only say that because they instilled, um, you know, morals and character in me. Um, they showed me the right way. I chose to go left. Um, the friends I hung out with and the older kids, you know, it was normal to drink and do drugs. Um, it was just a part of the weekend. And... Um, I didn't drink and do drugs like them guys. Um, I was on a different level. And uh, right from the very start, like if you were to ask me to write type of questions at 16, 17 years old, like you'd be able to say I was an alcoholic and a drug addict. Um, but my aspirations at the time were to, to get old in the neighborhood, divorced once or twice, and coach T-ball down at West Park. Like that, that was the goal. Um, you know, it's a lot different today. But um, my drinking, 16 years old, first drink, six-pack of Mike's Hard Lemonade. And um, if I knew then that that, that six-pack of Mike's Hard Lemonade um, in, in a Wissanoming house with, with parents there, and, um, you know, it was okay. If I knew that was going to turn into two bundles of dope down at, in Indiana in Kensington a day, um, you know, I don't know if I would have took that first drink. Um, a lot of pain and suffering um, going through this. Um, throughout my addiction, I wasn't present. Um, Dad diagnosed with cancer three, four years ago. Um, and at the time, I'm so caught up in self that we never talk about it, you know? Um, I felt like a stranger in my own home. Uh, I wasn't, I couldn't talk about my emotions and feelings with anybody. So uh, I wasn't ready to talk about, you know, if my dad was going to die of cancer um, or what it was. Around the same time, I uh, meet a girl. Now I'm a full-blown addict at the time. And, um, you know, she's not from the city. She's from town and a uh, normal girl, trustworthy, you know, loving heart. I did nothing but abuse that trust and uh, stomp all over her heart. Um, she wasn't ready for the ride that I was about to take her on for the next six years. 
Um, and, you know, a lot of, you know, I talk about desperation and, um, you know, pain and, uh, you know, I'm not comfortable up here doing this, but the only reason I do do this is because I was taught that, and I came to find out that, um, spiritual growth only comes from uncomfortability and pain. And, uh, I found that to be true. I, uh, you know, through years of addiction, what really cleaned me up and, and, and like I was saying, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, I didn't know if I wanted to be clean or sober at the time. I just knew I couldn't continue to do what I was doing. And um, I jumped into a 12-step program, and I started working with a sponsor who did the things that he taught me with his sponsor. And, um, you know, my life has never been better. I'm, I'm truly living the life beyond my wildest dreams. Um, I'm also a Philadelphia fireman, and... I was an addict and an alcoholic throughout that. You kind of got what you got from me. And uh, it's not a type of job where uh, you can be operating at a less than, you know, A level. Um, But I would call out, um, you know, not go to work, not show up. And uh, and, uh, really, you got what you got from me. Um, That isn't the truth today. Um, now I'm, 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 I'm great friends with coworkers and, um, you know, I truly live a great life. Uh, my dad here today, um, is now cancer free. Um, and the relationship I have with him is, is, is because of AA. That girl that I drug through the mud for six, seven years is now my fiance. We're getting married next year. Um, And, you know, I came into the rooms, and uh, I thought sobriety was from the beginning of the prayer to the end of the meeting. And, uh, you know, with two and a half years sober, I've come to find out it's from the end of the prayer to the beginning of the next meeting. Uh, If I'm not practicing what I'm saying in meetings, uh, it really doesn't mean shit. Um, you know, the mantra today is like, uh, give back more than I take away. Um, it's all about finding God, cleaning house and helping another guy. And, uh, that's really what my sobriety, uh, that's what holds my sobriety together. Um, I don't know. That's, that's really all I got. Thanks for having me out. I'm going to stop because my Aunt Debbie's probably running out of tissues right now. I just wanted to say a, a quick thank you. And again, if you folks would like a chance to chat with them, they'll be around after church. They'll be around over at the New Church Live office. Thank you guys very much for speaking and sharing your truth at New Church Live.
Wow, great music, great song, great understanding as, as we continue to like look at this issue. And what I want to do is I want now to invite out a, a group of panelists. And, and where this comes from, when we, when we put this service together, uh, what, what happened was essentially I said, I think about three sentences. And then people just started having a conversation. Said, yeah, I wonder this, and I wonder this, and I wonder this. And I want to just capture maybe six or seven minutes of that, just so you can get a chance to, to hear and maybe in hearing this, hear part of your story too. And maybe hear something that might bring a little bit of healing to your heart. So we have our panelists here today. It's Jeff, Jeff, Beth, and we're also very fortunate that Jill Bauer's also able to join us here today as well. So please give them a warm round of applause as they come. So we have a, a set of questions up here and that I wanted us to get a chance to think about and, and just hear from them uh, some different perspectives. And the first question is why? That seems to come up a lot, sort of like, well, well why? Like, like, why do people get addicted? You know, we, we sort of can fall into believing that we can figure it out. So I'd ask Jeff to just speak to that for a quick minute. To be completely honest with you, um... I don't know why, you know, and I, I don't try to, uh, I don't know if I'll ever know the answer. So I really don't even try to think about why I got addicted. Um, as painful as my story is and was, um, it's the best gift I've had ever been given. You know, I, I truly believe, um, that I was chosen, you know what I mean? Um, uh, I didn't choose it. Um, it chose me. Thank you. Thank you. And the next question for Beth, you know, it's, it's, it was interesting. One of the things we talked about, and I'm sure a lot of the families in the audience can resonate with this, is, is the question of incremental loss. Like that, that there's loss, but it's, it's sort of an ongoing loss. And it's important for us to acknowledge that, to have hope, and also to be really candid, understanding that there is an incremental loss. So the question I wanted Beth to answer is, how might be some ways that we deal with that incremental loss? Um, well, first, I just want to kind of give an example. You know, when for somebody first, you realize they're in their addiction, you lose who they are, um, and then you lose the trust, and there's all these different things that you lose. And then if they, if they die in their addiction or when they're not getting out of it, you lose hope of who, you know, you wanted them to be in their life and, um, you know, all the plans and dreams you have for your children or your friends or your family, um, you lose those one at a time and you just, you start to lose. Hope becomes lost incrementally too. And dealing with that, that, I don't know. I feel like we, uh, you know, we learn to compartmentalize. I think you learn to, to put all these, you know, feelings and, and lost hopes and into a file and sometimes you can file them away, but they're always, there's always something that's going to pull that file out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Jill, I asked Jill this question, which is, how do we love without enabling? That's a really tough one that came up. Like, how do we love without enabling? Like, how do we know the appropriate lines and, and where help is too much help and where, where we can help in ways that might help? Like, it's a tough question. So I gave that one to Jill. How do we love without enabling? 
When uh, I was asked to answer this question, I wasn't sure if I was qualified um, <laughs> because uh, I am in recovery uh, from addiction. Uh, I've been sober for uh, a little over three years now. Um, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I spent uh, 12 years uh, dragging my family through absolute hell. Um, and I think, uh, the most important thing that you can do, uh, is take care of yourself, um, first and, uh, love yourself and set boundaries. Um, and by doing that, you can almost lead through example, um, for the people, uh, that you love that are struggling um, you know, with addiction. I don't think there's any one thing that my parents uh, did right or wrong um, when I was living in active addiction. Uh, there was definitely um, a little enabling. Uh, I did spend probably two years sleeping on their couch <laughs> mm -hmm. that maybe, uh, you know, had they not allowed me to stay with them when I didn't have somewhere to stay, um, maybe I would have hit my quote-unquote bottom a little bit earlier. Um, but there's, I, I want to encourage people, there's an amazing uh, article in the New York Times, uh, it's a personal essay that um, a woman wrote uh, called Fighting Heroin Addiction with my mother on my side, and mm -hmm. it's beautiful. Um, and it, it talks about how uh, the writer's mom um, did not take a tough love approach. And, um, and that woman is today a person uh, living in long-term recovery. Um, so again, it's just, there's no you know, right or wrong thing that you can do, but number one, I would take care of yourself. Great, great, thank you. And the last question, I just asked them to just buzz through real quickly on this last one. Just if somebody came to them and said, how do we get help? You know, sitting where these folks are sitting, how? Would they answer this question, how do we get help? I guess speaking from experience, uh, help comes in a 12-step a, a program, uh, not only for addicts and alcoholics, but also for loved ones of alcoholics. So my answer would be the rooms. Thank you. Um, I would say to, to absolutely distance yourself from the problem and, and get connected with a sober living community. Um, like the one at Christian Life Center or 12 Steps or Teen Challenge or, you know, they're, they're out there. Just, you know, finding them and, and having the humility to, to take that step. Um, I mean, speaking from my own experience, uh, I reached out to somebody that uh, was in a 12-step program and started going to 12-step meetings. Um, but, I mean, there, there are tons of... Uh, you know, options out there for people. I've, um, the video that you watched, I've been traveling and um, photographing people that are living in addiction and recording their stories. And so far I've been to 19 states and I've met a lot of people, uh, well over 100 people living in recovery. And um, it, it's, it's sad because everywhere I go, um, Every town, um, every city, uh, people tell me that their, their town has a heroin epidemic um, everywhere. Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of options um, for treatment. You know, you can reach out to somebody that you trust. You can find somebody through church. Uh, you can talk to a doctor. You can talk to a therapist. Um, but again, I mean, for me, 
Um, I use 12 step program, um, but there, there are many, many options out there uh, available to people. Thank you. So I just want to thank this panel. If we could give them a round of applause as they go back to their seats. Thank you. Whoa. Don't worry. I didn't have too much to drink. We're okay. Um, you know, with, with looking at this, folks, when you look at, when you look at this issue of addiction, and, and uh, you know, one of the things I hope you heard there, I guess I better not put that back. One second. You know, with those, with those panels, one of the interesting things is that, did you notice, folks, how, how there is no one single answer? You know, it's, it's, you know, you'll hear stories from different people, well, this worked or that worked, and so much of it's based on the circumstance, I think. We, it's just hard to know. And, and I think our minds want to figure it out. If we have a loved one who's struggling with addiction, what can I do that's sort of like a program? And I can remember, you know, with, with my years of teaching, you know, I'd have a parent come to me and their, their child was struggling with addiction, and it was so easy to think, oh, they finally reached out and got help. We're good. Now, how often did that first time of help work? That often, yes, a lot, or no, not very much. No, very rarely did that kind of do it. It takes a lot of time. You know, recovery is a process. It's a recovery. It's, it's a process for those who are addicted. It's, it's a process for the families who love them. And this is very important. Sometimes the story ends well. Sometimes it doesn't. So we just need to be really honest about those two things. And it means that we have to be able to hold loss and hope. Notice what I said there. Can you say the middle word there? Loss and hope. Let's say it one more time. Lost and hope. It's not, and I think this is the danger, the loss of hope. I think we can hold the loss and the hope. I think we need to be aware and try to avoid the loss of hope. See, here's the definition of hope. Beautiful, beautiful definition of how Christian hope can work. Hope is love stretching into the future. I say that over and over again. Can we say that together? Hope is love stretching into the future. How that shows up, I'm not really sure, but I do know that it takes surrender. So I want to close with a real quick story from the Bible here. It's a story where of, of these friends, and they've got a man who's paralyzed. I feel like addiction can feel like a paralysis a lot of the time. And they're trying to get this, this, this man in front of Christ to be healed, and they can't. The crowd's so large. So what they do is they climb up onto the top of a house, and they break open the roof. So take a look at this story here as I read it. We're going to put the words up there. One day, he was, he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to land before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. 
I, I love that, that last part because the healing takes place, yes, and he gets healed and he's no longer paralyzed. But, but it's, it's, it's this beautiful image of, of, of surrender. And I think that's what this is. It's kind of like taking their friend and saying, here, Lord, this is yours. Please, Lord. Allow healing to show up in whatever form that might be. It may not be a cure. But I feel that we all can experience that healing, that, that, that surrender that can happen. And much of that surrender in this paradox, folks, is doing what the work is for you to do. Maybe that's showing up at a 12-step group. Maybe that's finding a group at your church or at your synagogue or at your mosque or, or a community group. Doing what you can do in order to turn it over. In order to surrender. So God can do God's thing. A beautiful image. Just, and just hold that image for a second of someone you love. Someone struggling with addiction. Hold that image of gently lowering them down, turning it over, and hearing Christ's words, you're forgiven. You are forgiven. Important for the addict to hear and important for the families who love them to hear as well. This is not a blame game. This is not something where we can point fingers. That leads nowhere. This is a challenge. It's a time of loss. It's, 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 it's an issue that has a lot of loss around it. And even within that, we can still be dedicated to the hope that is love stretching into the future, as blessed and broken as that is, as blessed and broken as each of us are. So, Thank you so much for coming today. I hope you have a chance to visit with some of our speakers or to join us over for lunch and pizza over at New Church Live. I recommend the veggie pizza, by the way. Great to have you here. Special thank you. The band just knocked it out of the park today. They did a phenomenal job. And we are very, very fortunate to have uh, the Sexton family offering the final prayer for the service. If they come on up, please give them a round of applause, folks. So, you want me to hold the mic? Okay. Dear God, please continue to help more and more people understand this disease and to have compassion for those who fight it every day, compassion to those we have lost to it, and compassion for the families who have been affected by addiction. We pray that those who are battling this disease will always be surrounded by loving people who lift them up, make them stronger, help them through this fight so they can give a, live a long, happy, healthy, meaningful life. We miss our family and friends who fought bravely against this disease every day, those we have lost to addiction. Please continue to help us find comfort in knowing they aren't being controlled and tortured by this any longer. We know we will meet again one day, but until then, please give us the strength to live this beautiful life to the fullest while carrying their memory with us. We pray for strength to compassionately bring out awareness of this disease to others through, through the memory of our loved ones. 
God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can, and wisdom to know the difference. To those battling this disease, whether themselves or, or a family or friend, you are loved by God and this community. We understand. We pray for you. To those we have lost, I forgive you. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.